you're on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. You're listening to Behind the Lines and you're with Scotty. Uh, welcome to the show. Today we're going to be having a yarn with David Mitzak uh, from an outfit called Mud Fun and he's also going to be talking to us about sun villages out there in Queanbeyan. How are you with us, David? Yes, I am, Scotty. How's it going? Yeah, it's going good. Yeah, very good. <laughs> First, I guess uh, mud fun. If, if you look on the web, you'll see a whole bunch of people doing muddy obstacle courses and things. What What's your version of mud fun? Um, actually, you've probably gone to the wrong site. Our Our mud fun is um, is the musical mud stomp one, and it's not to be confused with the muddy obstacles. Actually, what a what a musical mud stomp is is um, we just did one at Lyon and Public School uh, last term. Or actually, yeah, at the end of last year, and um, and basically what it, what it was is all the it's a combination of the cultural performing arts and the building sciences. So the kids were were sort of um, looking into building and construction and and having a competition about what sort of structure they could build in their in their playground. And one of the teachers um, found us and decided to host a musical mud stomp, <clears throat> which means she brought out. She got her music teacher, director um, lady, who got all the music students out, and they played music for the other kids during lunchtime, and they all took off their socks and shoes. It was like towards the end of the school term, actually, and they um, it was hot weather, and they all stomped on the mud and cranked out like hundreds of mud bricks um, all within their lunch break. Um, and the music sort of fueled their excitement. And, and, you know, they were barefoot in the middle of school and they had a huge audience because it was lunchtime, so everybody was watching um, those. But there was a lot. We had a big tarp rolled out that a couple hundred kids could fit on and they literally cranked out, you know, hundreds of bricks like um, that have a real street value in construction terms. So, um, so it was amazing how quickly they pulled it all together and made it happen. And, 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 and the bricks are uh, sort of being stored just as a as memory, but there, there, there's talk now of um, of doing something with them. And typically, when we go in, we more or less go in when there's already a plan. So there's already a construction project in place, and the architects and engineers and builders um, meet with the the you know end up meeting with the cultural performing artists, and they come up with a plan that that suits both of their needs. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Um, and the one over at Lynham there is that uh, is that in a spot where you could drop in and have a look at it? Um, well, all all that's there right now is um, so there's no structure there. It was they just elected to experience the musical mud stomp um, as part of their learning about construction and um, and 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 actually all the subjects. They tied in all the subjects to this whole project of the kids uh, coming up with with a building that's suitable. So nothing's been built yet, um, but they've been through the process of their of, of, a, of a musical mud stomp. And what, I, what we're calling it, the people in my little circle, which includes the cultural artists and the construction scientists. So I've got uh, Rhiannon, who's an architect. I've got um, a builder, Dane, and, and Rhiannon's got her engineer. And so then we've got a whole slew of um, cultural performing artists, like drummers and musicians who have, who are sort of community-based. And, um, and so we're building what we call a festive earth and building culture. And Lyon Public School, the, the first school that, in Canberra that sort of had a taste of this. And, and, and what they've essentially done is, is 
um, uh, made their music teacher take on a role uh, that's above and beyond just what we're typically used to seeing music used for. Like, it's more, in our society, more used for entertainment. No one would think of hiring a music teacher to be involved in construction. And the project <laughs> we did down the coast, that's more something that you can go and look at, look and see. That's down in Maruya, if anyone's if everyone gets down to the coast in Maria Public School, um, there's a there's a you know a, a big sort of multi-purpose um, cubby house type structure that also looks a bit like a canteen on one side, and a puppet show sort of theatre on the other side, and then there's a tunnel on on another side which um, they make a cardboard box sort of maze to crawl through. But it's got really thick masonry walls. All the kids in the in the whole school got to come out and do musical mud stomps and build up the walls with with the architect, the builder, and the engineer. And and a significant portion of the budget for the construction um, was actually given to the music uh, director, who um, who also employed other musicians to to run these musical mud stomps and um, engage the whole community. We even went out into the markets uh, on the weekends. And did a musical mud stomp down there, where the general public could also, um, you know, dance to the music in the mud and crank out more bricks for the project. Yeah, right. So um, these structures that you wind up with are they are they some sort of uh, yeah? What what are they? Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. So far, we've we really think that our our niche is public structures. Um, any kind of public structure that, that is going to be shared by everybody. So, so far, the structures that we've built the, the, in the last five years have been like a community kitchen for a community garden um, that's owned by council land and um, it's on council land. And, you know, and uh, so uh, another cubby house um, at the Botanic Gardens, the regional Botanic Gardens down in Batemans Bay. And that's... that's um, there's a really great story behind that. It, it really brought it brought a lot more people to the garden um, at a time when when there was very few people coming. And so, when 1,200 kids got to come out 100 at a time and build up this cubby house, it's become a spot that they all want to have their birthday parties at. And the parking lot's full, um, whereas it was nowhere near like that um, previous to this project. So there was uh, there was another cubby house down in South Australia. And um, and then there's this, been this cubby house here in um, in uh, Maruya, and there's also like a small kitchen uh, kitchen sort of with stove and wood fired stove kitchen bench top thing in uh, Liverpool Public School in Sydney. Um, and then other than that, we've just done smaller projects, small little stoves and and ovens. Um, uh, yeah. So so yeah. So they're, they're the structures that we built, but you know they're all. Um, load-bearing walls, which means that that's the strongest part of the wall that has to hold up the roof. And that's just an engineering and architecture term. Everyone wants to know where's the load being bare, who's bearing the load, like which part of the wall is bearing the load. And um, and so typically a lot of masonry we have in Australia, it's just um, uh, on the outside. It's just like a veneer. It's not really holding up the wall, holding up the roof. It's really just to, it's more for show and for, you know, I guess, weathering you know the weather um but our masonry is big thick walls that are that are strong enough to hold up massive like telegraph pole sized logs um that the roof sits on yeah right so i guess 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's sort of different from the, the, the cubby I was thinking of where you just knock it up with a few planks of wood in the backyard. So Absolutely, can, no. This can is you run me engineered. Yeah, you know, right. Okay, yeah. cover that bit then, uh, engineered. Have you got a, a captive engineer? Or? Um, no, not one in particular, but we've got a captive architect and she um, works with the engineer that is on that is the closest one to the job. And since we've moved around a bit in different places, we prefer to you know, engage the local people. Um, we, we have a captive build and we have a captive um, uh, architect, but, but it's not necessarily them that are doing the work. It's just, to, just so that they understand if someone needs to talk to, well, how did you get away with this last time type thing? <laughs> yes. You, you know, and, um, <clears throat> but um, I don't even re- remember the, archi- the, the engineer's name because, <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> I remember he came out to our, to our musical mud stomp, but there was a couple hundred people there and he came and shook my hand. Um, that was at the Maria one, but in the previous ones, there's always been a slightly different, a different, um, slightly different team. Um, and, and my role has just been to bring those people together. Um, and I've got Rhiannon as a captive architect that is, you know, has, um, been hanging out with me for the last five years and she's really, um, become good at talking to the, um, you know, the engineers, uh, and the department of education or the council engineer, like, just to help them understand where we're coming from within the within the construction sciences. Yeah, right. So um, the first time you did this, how did you go getting approval? I mean, here's a council who's saying, oh, look, this is a bit weird. I don't know about all this. And you're saying, <laughs> no, I haven't actually done one before. <laughs> how did you go about getting it through? Yeah, um, well, to be honest, I um, how did I do it? What was the very first thing? The very first thing was actually a cubby house in a backyard, um, and I was I was overseas at the time in America, and I just came back for the summer holidays, and we did a musical mud stomp in the backyard, um, and then we did another one, and from that we had all the bricks stacked, and then it was a year later that I came back, and the community all who were there it was about seventy five people that that came to this backyard event. And they stayed in touch and came and, and built up the walls. So that wasn't that was sort of under the radar. Um, it was completely under the radar, just in a backyard. And but but we kind of doubled and tripled the thickness of the walls just to be on the safe side. Um, and and so that structure is still still there, and and people still know about it. But but from there, what happened was there was a council um, worker who was an old school friend of mine um, who. We'd be kept in touch via Facebook while I was living in the States. And, um, and she said, I'm working for council now. I've been working for them for quite some time. And we, we have a, a plan to build a cubby house in our botanic garden. And we want to save the botanic gardens. There's talk of, you know, it's shutting down because no one's coming here. And we want to create a, we want to, you know, create a, a community engagement thing and get, you know, so we, we're planning to build a cubby house. It's already on the cards. We've already, you know, the... The friends of the Botanic Gardens is a non-profit organisation. They save the money. We've got so that she just invited me down to meet with all the directors of council, and pretty much the council down there made it happen on their own terms, and just hired me as a consultant to. Um, and they rebranded it and renamed it their own program. It was called Mud Play Build, and um, it was over a school term. And they're the ones that organised the buses for the kids to come out. They hired the um, the architect and the builder and the engineer um, according to what I said, according to my um, recommendations, which is that these are people who are willing to talk to the kids and 
and milk the project for its educational value. So, um, so we were lucky in in the sense that the first one was actually the, the client was council and they used all of their own resources and they used several departments within council. The you know the the, the department that does like festivals and knows about the cultural artists and the performing artists. That department got involved. The department that knows about the youth centre and and engaging youth and you know like all the youth the youth worker sort of department. But they 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 got because uh, they asked me what I needed. How are we going to do this? And I said, well, I need I need a team of youth and 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 uh, I need a builder, an architect, an engineer, and and a musical director. They're the five things I need. So they just. Um, uh, said, well, all right, we'll leave it with us and we'll, we'll get back to you. I went back to the States and then about nine months later, they emailed me a contract, which was everything that I'd asked for. Here's your musical director, here's your youth worker, here's your architect, engineer, builder, and here's your budget and, um, and number of hours and, and, um, and we've got everything lined up for you. So, so it was pretty much... Yeah, back, right. right into it. Oh, that was a, a lucky accident, wasn't it? Finding the right people first up. Yeah, well, well, well actually, it was. It was Tina Smith, um, who um, she was somebody that I think uh, she really her heart was like everybody. It wasn't that she had she was pulling rank. It was quite the opposite. She was more down on the coal face of the community, and she was the type of person that was always volunteering her time on the weekends um, for the community. You know, to so she was really taking her job really seriously as a as a council worker, and really felt honoured to have that position to be able to serve the community. And and you know, all of her free time seemed to be um, taken by you know um, serving the community. So when she recommended me, it meant a lot because it meant a lot to those directors who who knew her reputation in the community as somebody that was genuine. And um, and I think. It wasn't for her it it might not have come through because it was like it just came through the right channel yeah she was the right person to to get the attention of everybody they knew that she didn't have her own it wasn't about her you know what i mean it wasn't about yeah, her that's right. it wasn't even anything to do with her department even though um you know they, they had a very small piece of the um of the project yeah so yeah. how did it uh, how did it come about so was there some sort of epiphany involved in going i know <laughs> i'm going to make mud structures <laughs> with all these cool people <laughs> yeah actually it was very much i had a couple of epiphanies one was um when i was 19 and um i was in the solomon islands in a very remote village like on a which was three days out on a boat and while i was there on this island village um the decision was made to build a house and and i didn't really know they didn't speak english but i kind of was picking up on a lot of cues and vibes and everything and one day um everyone was just gathering and and it went on for a while this this house building project but it became it was a mix of entertainment and construction there was a huge audience that gathered there was all this singing going on there was food being brought out to the construction site and everybody was involved. All the ages knew what to do to collect the various materials. It wasn't mud, but it was it was all natural materials from the woods. And you know, everybody went out, and then stuff would come in, and and people just were sitting there watching it all come together. And there was lots and lots of people involved in weaving this sort of masterpiece together. Um, but 
the singing and the entertainment sort of like performing arts or whatever you want to call it um, was so significant in it. Like you, you, you would sort of come out for that as well, not just to watch the building go up. So that stuck with me. And then it was probably 20 years later, I was um, in the States working in a corporate job for, for Telstra USA. And I went out to this open mic scene um, within what I later figured out was, you know, the African American community of um, sort of um, uh, it was a it was like a community based initiative to, and it was sort of rolling on from the civil rights era, and the people had continued this sort of thing of like gathering and using performing arts to to inspire each other to hold our community together and um, and to make improvements and just. Just to ins- yeah, so so the, the, the I, 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 it reminded me a lot of um, my childhood growing up, where my parents and a few other of their friends started a community theatre in a small town that I grew up in, and the, and that became the glue that stuck everybody together. At at least once a year, the whole community would be in this one little room, at one of the nights or days that the show was going on. Um, to see the show because we would have to go around door knocking and getting everyone to come, <laughs> and and, and, um, and so I grew up with that sort of realizing the power of what the like it was on on reflection like years later and you know in the corporate world there's always somebody trying to come in and teach us how to be more um, you know team building and and talk to each other a bit more and more communicative and more more this and more that. And I was like, wow, that's, they're really just trying to get us to be like we were back in those days when everyone was, was, was not so afraid to, um, to just, I don't know, just like, just, 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 just work together, you know? Yeah, well, um, that's right. I mean, communities have got together to build stuff for centuries, really, haven't they? Like you were saying, in the, in the Solomons, that's probably an age-old tradition there. And are there any other places around the world that you know of that sort of do mud structures as a matter of course? Actually, um, this is another thing I've learned. I've learned a lot through this. This um, since I um, made this word community my thing to figure out what does it really mean. What is the definition of community? That's been my quest. Like, what is community? What does it really mean? Because that's the word they were saying at, at this open mic uh, performing um, space in, in Atlanta that I became really part of. And um, and so as I dug back through and, and discovered the earth and masonry, which is, um, which is over there in America too, the Native Americans, all the older structures in America that nobody knows about, like thousand-year-old little village opolis, like little tiny, um, you know, they're, they're, they're a thousand years old and they're still there and the, and the Native Americans are still practicing it, but no one would know because it's just, I don't know, it's been pushed aside. But um, in, in Australia, in our own in our own um, Sort of thing. Um, well, if you want to go European Australian, um, the word cobber. You know, I remember as a kid walking around Sydney, you'd even or anywhere, wherever. You know, you, there would always be some old guy that would come out of a pub somewhere and just as you're walking past, be like, "Get a cobber," you know. And <laughs> and 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 even you know, strangers, old strangers would call you cobber, and 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 um, and some of it still stuck. So um, I found out that the. The, the history behind that word is that back in, in England, um, all the oldest structures are built out of earth, just the sun-dried, unfired earth, and they call it cob, and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the verb is cobbing. We cob together our homes with cob, 
the is is the name of the sort of material now is sort mm-hmm. of being revived, and these are all five hundred, seven hundred year old homes right there in Devon that are all there, and um, and they look like concrete. You think they were concrete, but it's sort of more rounded edges, and uh, and so the reason why we call each other cobber is because we were all cobbers cobbing each other's homes together not that long ago, just uh, a couple hundred years ago. It's a substitute for neighbour. It's a substitute for neighbour, but it's got all these other added things into it it's not just a, it's the neighbor who comes to help build someone's house you know yeah. what i mean yep. yep like we're all just cobbers we all just cob each other's homes together and and it's and, and and so in order to come and cob someone's home together you can't you have to withhold some of your disdain for that person if you have any you know what i mean <laughs> yeah it's like yeah you, you so so it's like, oh, well, I don't like this guy, but I've got to come and cob his home, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I'm just trying to picture how that works. How does it work that we're all cobbers? Like, that everyone's a cobber. Uh, interesting. So I guess you've, you've taken, I guess, cobbing, and, and when you do your, your cobbing with your community, you're, you're creating a festival as well, because it really looks like what you're doing is very much in a festival atmosphere. Absolutely. And, you know... That's the Australian thing too. We love our festivals, and um, <clears throat> so that's really the, the 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 message that's out there is like let's combine all the best parts about Australia, um, um, and and yeah, and and that's exactly right. It's we call it festive. Well, we're calling it festive building culture or festive earth and masonry building culture um, because we're realizing the mud is so it's so conducive to that festive spirit it goes along with um the music um and the dance you know actually stomping in the mud is so close to just dancing when the music's playing um and and um and so it really does change the vibe from a construction site um at least temporarily into something bigger than a construction site and and what you know so it's interesting because a festival is something that you that we will feel happy to, to pay to be a part of. It's like, yeah, give me my ticket. I want to go to the festival. But on the construction side, um, it, it, it's, not, it's, it's not there. You know, it's more like, I know there's a lot of proud construction workers, but, but the way that we've, we've got our construction industry, it, it's, not, it's not necessarily the thing that many people will pay to be a part of. It's, it's more like, you know, like I need to be paid because that's my profession and all that. So it's like, um, but but the work that our construction workers are doing needs to, like, we've just figured out that from the construction workers we've worked with, you know, like Dame when he was working on the on the building site down at, um, he's all, he also happens to be a muso and he's also a, a bunch of other things besides being a, a builder. But you know, it's it's often that these construction workers, whether it's an architect, an engineer, or a builder that they get really emotional to be a part of um, a project where their, where their work is more transparent, um, you know, more transparent and more sort of connected to community. Normally, you know, we sort of lock away our, communi- our, our construction workers behind a fence and no one really gets to sort of fully appreciate what they're doing until the structure's revealed. And, and, then, and then after that, we don't, their face is not really connected to it. It's sort of almost like, it's almost like we... You know their their personality is is not so um, front and center of the project. It's more like yeah, it's well, all done anonymously. Yeah, um, it's all very disconnected, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of like these things happen by magic, and and 
the person who made it's disconnected from the structure and they're disconnected from the people who live in the structure and you know in a way we're disconnected from each other and how yeah, did, yeah. How? And, and, and then on the other end of the spectrum is the culture, is the performing artists and the culture workers and stuff like that. And oftentimes their situation is that they kind of don't feel appreciated as, um, you know, because, you know, we've got the, what is it, the, the cliched thing of the struggling, starving artist, you know, who's, so, and these are sometimes really adept musicians who've devoted their whole life to, to, to moving the crowd and, and spicing up our lives and, and really, you know, being able to do amazing things, but, but they're not necessarily recognised or rewarded for what they do for our society. Um, and music's being cut out of a lot of school programming. So, so we want to, um, like, kind of meet halfway, like um, bring, bring, elevate the, the performing arts and the cultural arts, like in the case of the Maria Cubby House, out of a $32,000 budget, Seven and a half thousand of that was just for the music and the and the performing arts component of the construction, and we were still able to come under the three thousand per square meter that the construction industry says is sort of standard for for construction. So, in a way, we're reappropriating construction funds um, back into the performing arts and elevating the performing arts into something that's outside of just the um, you know the the like. We, we tend to put the, the performing cultural arts into a room by itself, like into the art gallery or the, or the music room, or, you know, we separate it out. But in what we're doing is bringing it out into the community, come down to the market and run this musical mud stomp for us or with us. And, and, and the outcome is all these bricks which have a street value. You know, there's thousands of dollars of bricks that we've just cranked out in a couple of hours thanks to your musical mastery. You know, the way that you've brought these kids together and got this ensemble to play is really, we want to recognise that. Because look at all the bricks that have just been cranked out. And these have been cranked out by volunteers who just happened to be at the markets who wanted to jump in the mud and, and stomp <laughs> them out. You know, for, you know, be, yeah. So, so um, and, and um, like, like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go too far, but but I, <laughs> I'm sure if Dame was listening, but he, he told me that you know he was shedding tears through the project of just being a builder, and he's never had that feeling before, where the kids are just chanting his name and wanting to sing with him, and you know, like it's all you know, and and so it, it, it you know because I've I've been on the building sites and you know being a labourer helping builders, and it is quite a lonely job. You're out there by yourself, and everyone's at work, and and the fences around you, and you know, no one sees what you're doing. So he was, it was quite the opposite of that. And what ended up happening was that, you know, he ended up putting in like two to three times the amount of hours that he was being paid for, but it was on his own back because he just wanted to stay back and talk to the mums and dads who were so happy that their kids had been involved and built up the walls. And, you know, he was constantly, um, you know, just being kind of bombarded in a way that he's not used to as a, as a builder. It's more like the way that our performing artists get bombarded, but when, when, a, when a performing artist is getting bombarded, a lot of times that's after a long, hard gig that they're hardly getting paid for. And, um, you know, so, so, so yeah, it's, it's really rewarding just to see how our builders respond and the performing artists and how they, how they come together and, 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 and make something else that's new. Right, so how do you think those connections and that, that 
I guess the integration of all of the, the community with the, the building and everything, how does that sort of fit in with, with the, the resilience of the whole community? You were talking about the, the theatre that you had when you were growing up as well, and that was, again, a, a point of connection. How does that feed into the resilience of a community? Um, resilience, that's a good word. <clears throat> resilience means you're resilient against, like... Um, it means you can what? come back from any disturbances and shocks well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how does that form into... Yeah, the resilience. Well, I, I think... Well, going back to... Um, going back to... Um, going back to my childhood growing up in Stanwell Park with the community theatre, um, from very young, we were... we. Our job was to knock on doors to sell tickets to the show. Um, whether we liked it or not, it was just the thing you did. And it was... And actually, it was... How that benefited me as a, as a young person was um, was um, I would get to know who's who, and then I could come back around later and knock on their door and ask for odd jobs and make money. And um, so we never were short of money as kids because we knew every single house in the whole town, and we knew who was willing to pay us to cut their grass or do some little odd job. So any time we needed money for a paddle prop or a hamburger, we could just go and 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 hit up. The you know the people who so so but then even fast forward like I ended up getting into um, <clears throat> sales and marketing and new develop, new business development for Telstra in the state and so I get to a new country I think I think I really did have a lot of that courage to just call people and and say hey do you know who we are we're Australia we're Telstra why don't you come and set up down here for regional headquarters <laughs> and it was big projects but it was like I think I had a lot of that spirit of just like it's the same as knocking on someone's door you know like if they if they know about the show there's a chance they're going to want to come, you know, and, and the same thing was with corporate sales and marketing. If they know about Australia and what Telstra can do for them over in, in Australia, in that part of the world, but, you know, connect to China and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> so, so that's what it did for me in terms of resilience, like, because, um, uh, but, but I'm seeing the same sorts of things is that the, 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 um, you know, that once you, once, once everyone, gets to know each other and work together on a project i saw like um people coming together like like the very first project the mums all started taking their kids out of school on that like on that wednesday and joining the next school because it was always a different school each wednesday that we that we did the project but the mums would take their kids they'd come to the first one and they'd be like oh we're coming back next wednesday and it's like oh the, the other school is going to be there oh yeah we don't care we're coming as well <laughs> so it, it, by the end of the project there was like a mums group that had formed that started um coming down to the botanic gardens and sort of owning that space and it became <laughs> the mums that, of mud what's that the mums of mud well yeah there were more than mums of mud there were mums of mud there were mums of food there were mums of music um, and really just of mums of mums, like they were, they were down for each other. And, and I, the way, like the mud was almost like just by the way, like they got deep into each other's lives. I could hear their conversations and what they were doing over the project. And it was almost like, it was almost like they didn't really pay much attention to the mud. That was just something they were doing while they were focusing on more important things. <laughs> yeah, right. and, and I've heard that mums groups is, there's, there's a few of them actually that still own and operate like they they operate out of that botanic gardens and and it's five years later and the cubby house is theirs you know that's their spot but not just the cubby house the whole botanic garden space like the barbecue area the picnic area the the other playground and um and and and, and so 
And I think that's resilience because the story I heard is that um, that there was people talking about, well, we don't need it. We can't afford to run the Botanic Gardens anymore. No one's visiting it. The visitorship is too low. And, you know, there was 100 senior citizen volunteers running the place, but they... Um, but uh, but that was it. There wasn't many other people coming there except for the Easter egg hunt once a year. But they've since taken over, and um, and you know there's been no mud activities that I've you know over the last five years because the cubby's still there. But but those mums still sort of are there um, holding that space. And and there's a lot of like art gal. There's a lot of stuff happening in the botanic gardens now. They've they've sort of um, made it a place where there's all kind of music and art and you know. Um, you know, creative events that take place. It's become a spot, a destination, and, and it's way out of town. It's not, it's not anywhere that you would walk past. You'd have to. It's like seven k's out of Batemans Bay, and then you still got to drive in off the road. And um, and also the cafe there um, is thriving. Whereas before the project, there was there were several cafes owners that had gone broke because no one was coming there, and and they they thought that well maybe the cafe will be the saviour. But it was really more the idea of the council having the guts to just open up the project to everyone participating and finding money from different budgets within council. Council can apply for various grants, like federal grants for different purposes, whether it's youth or whether it's art or whether it's um, new structures. Um, and, and and there's another one, I forget what, you know, even just like accessibility, like people with disabilities, they can they can apply for various grants and and, and, and sort of, achieve several goals with one but like you know like pull the budgets together and and have better results yeah right so um yeah what what i mean what got you into this whole mud idea i mean um there's all sorts of building materials you you could have chosen anything how come you chose mud yeah well i I was in the state and um and i was uh I was a performing artist, and 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 all these venues were so amazing that I was performing at. Like the the sense of community was so strong. Like from the moment you walked in, the guy that you know um, collects the money at the door, and all the people working so tightly together. And I got really curious about how is this happening, and that's when I learned about the civil rights and um and 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 that they were on a, a mission to to really just make the world a better place through 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 these types of gatherings and um and i asked the guy at the, the door once i said like i, I said oh, i need to get with you i need to i want to be like i want to i want to learn from you like what is what's going on like how do you do this magic you know and um and he goes well i'm a community organizer and and i said well what's that and anyway i ended up meeting up with him and and he ran through the whole the whole premise of a community organizer and and he said well what you need to do is create your own program and um and and it could be and i said well and he said anything find anything that you want to do and and then we'll we'll work we'll work through with it so um i had just <clears throat> at the time happened to come across like mud building as a as sort of like a thing you know but it was more out in the fringes you know like a permaculture type thing um more out of the mainstream it was um and and i thought well, what if i could bring this out of the fringes and into the urban inner city where i was performing and stuff and um and then i contacted some of the leaders in 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 the field of this revival this sort of cob revival um and they um 
I, I just wasn't able to afford to bring them all together. And so I ended up just buying a book and learning myself and, and trying it out myself a little bit before I made it into a community thing. And, and, you know, dealing with kids is where I started with. I just started, I was like a volunteer youth chaperone um, for the SDLC, which is the, the organization that Martin Luther King started. And, um, and so I was really just starting with kids, and they're very non-judgmental. Like, <clears throat> they don't really, you know, you can't really get much wrong with kids. They just love it. So, <laughs> so it started off with just a couple buckets of mud, and we made a little miniature <clears throat> small-scale model. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> and it magically came together, and, and it looked a lot like concrete by the end. Like, you know, by the time we painted it, and, and we, but we followed all the steps we would, we would follow doing a, a large-scale building from the book but on a very small scale. So in a very short time, we had a, a nice-looking structure that was like, wow, like feel the walls, it's waterproof. We were filling up our little house with water and watching the water dribble out the sides of the windows and the doors and then, <laughs> and then just beat up, you know. The, the, the water would just beat up like it was made out of plastic and that was on the inside because of the polishes that we, that we created. And it was like, wow, okay, so that's how it started, just like that, just on a very small scale. Well, let's let's run through the process now. You, you've obviously got to start with with something. You don't just dig a hole next door to the the structure for the for the mud, do you? Um, in a perfect world, we would do that, and that's what our ancient ancestors did a lot of before we had, you know, all these types of um, pollutants nearby. So, yeah, it hasn't. But but usually, what, what what's happened so far with all of our projects is that we found the the source that is as close to where the construction site as possible, um, but but it has to be virgin. I mean, the the slang word in the um, industry is venom, and I think it stands for virgin earth, non. Anyway, it basically means that it's never been excavated before, um, and um, non-excavated material. Yeah, so it's virgin earth, non-excavated material, and so they call it venom, and and we just contact a we contact the local excavation companies and invariably every single time there's always a project that's happening. They're either digging a hole um, for a pool or for some foundation somewhere and and they classify it as venom and then they send it our way. And um, so we sort of intercept it before before they have to pay someone to take it away and dump it somewhere else. Oh, that's a win-win, isn't it? And what are the qualities in, in, a, in, a, in a clay that make it suitable for building? But believe it or not, like almost all the clays have what, what it needs. It's just that, it's just that magic um, quality that science can't replicate. They, 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 they don't fully understand why it so magically binds together like it does. Um, but it's just that clay content that you would know. It's not the topsoil. It's not what the topsoil is, which is the sort of dusty, you know, lightweight sort of black um, stuff that, that, that's like compost. It's not like that at all. It's, it's literally kind of rock hard when it's dry. And, and you know, you, you'd throw it down on the ground, it would break up into pieces maybe or, or make a thudding sound. And, um, and it's, it's below the topsoil. So it's everything below the topsoil and, and there's so much of it, they reckon the, the layer that covers the earth is about a mile deep. So there's enough for almost every human to build a city out of it. It's, it's in such plentiful um, proportions that the mind boggles, you know. But it, it's, um, it's just there directly under the subsoil and, you know, it's the stuff that, that you would take a pick and, or, or a mattock and chop it out, you know, when it's dry. When it's wet, 
um, you know, it's it's squishy, so you pick it up and just squish it through your through your fingers, and it would squeeze out, you know, squeeze out the hole. I mean, between your fingers. Yeah, right. So you've got this stuff, and you've taken it down to the local school. Um, what do you do? You just dump it in a pile and stick the hose on it, or? Um, yeah, we tend to um, soak it for as long as possible. So in an ideal world, if it was back in the olden days, we would we would just dig a big um, hole in the ground and and chop it all up, but then let it rain, let it be rained on through the rainy season, and and then. Um, yeah, but what we tend to do is just put it into put the the dry hard stuff into buckets, and um, and then soak those buckets for as little as you know a couple of days. But the longer you soak it, the better. The more and, and and so you soak it. If you get it into a slurry and just sort of stir it around, all the rocks float to the bottom, and then you get more creamy mud that comes to the top. But um, but you know we add sand to it as well, so you don't need. You don't just need pure clay. In fact, it's better to add an aggregate. So even though you can you can keep the stones in there um, and, and add sand, and it's more sand than clay actually. So it's it's um, it's basically it's similar to the recipe for concrete, but it's two parts sand to one part clay is the sort of very easy, simple. So if you if, yeah, if you wanted to experiment with it, you could grab like a cup full of sand. Um, and then half a cup of clay and mix that together and you'd come out with something like, like cob or mud brick. Yeah, cob, cob is just the, the free-form uh, building with blobs and it's laid wet, so you can only build up a very short height um, and then you've got to let that dry before you go up higher, whereas mud brick is, um, is you know dried mud bricks that are glued together with, with a wet mud mortar. But we combine those two things so that the, the community can build all the way up to waist high in one session and get that excitement value of, um, you know, of seeing the wall coming up and then the cob is sort of cobbed in between and together. And so, whereas if you just pure cob, you'd have to build up a short, a shorter height. And, and, and if you just did um, mud brick, you'd have a more sort of straight edge, you know, it's, it's, and yeah. you have to be a bit more pedantic with it. Whereas if you combine the two, you can, can just sort of go up in the, in the in the in the way that children like to just fast and messy and, and it's <laughs> bumpy, yeah. Nice. So, what do you wind up with a bunch of kids just jumping in from bucket to bucket doing this stomp? Or? Yeah. So, so we we soak the buckets. Um, we order the sand from the local supplier um, and put pour the sand down on top of a big tarp, um, and then we bring the buckets out and pour the buckets out on top of the sand. And and that's when the mixing begins, the barefoot mud stomping begins. So then um, we we uh, we bring the musicians out, and they start playing. And and in a perfect world, there's been a bit of rehearsal about some way that this is going to be done to make it look um, spectacular for the audience. Um, and so there's some sort of yeah choreographed component to it, at least initially for the beginning, to to just sort of let those um, people that are choreographed minded, like dance type minded, so let them let them shine a little bit, do their little performance piece in the mud, and that sort of inspires everybody that doesn't necessarily have to have any, you know, previous experience can all just jump in and, and help stomp out the rest. So, so it's just a matter of uh, yeah, adding water to the to the clay and the sand, stomping it all together till it's one homogenous mixture, a bit like you know making dough a bit like that you know putting all the ingredients in a pot in a pan and uh, in a bowl and mixing them together until it comes out like dough 
Yeah, right. So then what? You're making these bricks. I mean, when I think yeah. brick, I think of this sort of uh, this sort of rectangular prismy thing. Yeah, well, 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 we've done, yeah, so we, we've got, depending upon the age group and the situation and, and where we're at, we've, we could, the, but the general rule is that you, you would, um, you would build up, you would cob up to the highest, like as high as you can go with a wet, with a wet blob, and that's not very high, that might only be like, um, you know, I don't know, like half a metre at the very most, probably a, a third of a metre high. And then when you've got to your maximum height and you've still got heaps of mud that's left over, that's when those blobs that you're passing down the line, we're all trying to keep up rhythmically with the music, passing the blobs from one... So there's people stomping on the mud and they're trying to make that look good. But then there's another line of people that are on the side passing the blobs out of the mud pit towards where the um, building is going to take place. And once we get to a height that's the maximum height because it's, it's, it's not, you know, it's too wet, that's when the remainder of those mud blobs get put into a little square mould to, to make a, a brick so that we've accomplished two things. We've built the wall as high as we can go before it sort of slumps because, because of the, you know, the wetness. And then we've, and we've also got a whole bunch of bricks that are all laid out to dry in the sun. And so when we come back next time, those bricks that are now dry, when we're repeating that process and the wet blobs are coming down the line, we're using those wet blobs to mortar together the bricks and um, and we're doing it in, in such a way that it doesn't really matter about getting it right because we're doubling and tripling up the width of the brick. So we're creating these big, fat walls um, that are very sort of, um, I don't know what you call it, like um, bulbous in, in... that They look very bulbous. They don't look very... They're, very, they're curved and they're big, fat. Um, and that's just to keep our engineers happy because the engineers are always concerned about something falling down. So rather than um, go, and, and typically in the, in the construction industry, we're always trying to go with the, the minimum in a sense, like because of cost. We, we want to just put up the very bare bones minimum that will, that, will, that will, you know, very safely hold the roof up. But we, go the, we, we sort of double and triple what is needed so that it gives more people the chance to be involved in the wall. And the earth is, is a plentiful thing that we, we've never had to pay for any of the earth deliveries. Most people just want to sponsor the project and, 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 and give the delivery because it's for a public structure and, you know, they just want to give back to their community. So we've never had to pay for the material and so there's not that, um, there's not that sense of like, oh, we have to be minimalist here. We can, so it's, it, you know, we make our walls so fat that if we wanted to, if we, if we wanted the structure to be three stories one day and take the roof off and go up higher, we could do that because of the, the fatness at the bottom. Yeah, right. So, do you just start placing these blobs on the ground? We, we, we um, no. We, we do um, a, a, the ancient sort of rubble foundation, which still sort of meets the BCA requirements. Normally, in in modern construction, there's a lot of concrete that's getting poured down the hole, like below the ground, to sit the the, the walls on top of, like a brick wall on top of. You would have to dig a, a sort of like a, a trench and fill that with concrete and and gravel. So we, uh, we build a, what's called a rubble foundation. Um, <clears throat> that's what all the structures we've done so far. And, and so what that is is it's, it's a trench like um, it's, it's sort of like almost as high as your waist, that kind of depth. And it's, it's wider than the, the base of the, the, um, wider than the base of the, of the wall. 
and that's filled with gravel first all the way up to the ground level and then on top of the ground we've got like a stone um <clears throat> a stone foundation that that's that's built up um sort of like as high as your shin um below the knees that type of height and that's all stone and that just keeps the earth off the ground and then we put the the earth goes on top of that so it's a solid stone foundation you know, similar to the ones of all these ancient structures that are hundreds and even thousands of years old, you know, these earthen masonry structures around the world. Yeah, well, they were obviously built well enough, weren't they? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, right. So how big can you get with this sort of technique? You mentioned three stories. I mean, what are some of the biggest things around the world that have been done with Earth? Oh, wow. Well, believe it or not, um, the world's oldest, skyscrapers 11 stories high they're all 500 years old in yemen um it's just incredible to see some of the videos if anyone googles yemen skyscrapers and clicks on video um there's some amazing drone footage of the, and there's several of these little um ancient you know some of the they're, they're, they say they're 500 years old but but then the locals say well yeah but before that they were like they're only 500 years old for the height they are now but you know even a thousand years ago they were maybe 10 stories high or nine stories or seven you know like it's almost like every hundred years they go up another story <laughs> and um and, and yeah but but there's 11 story skyscrapers that are 500 years old there's the city of Jene uh, in mali and that's 2000 years old and there's 38,000 people that live there and it's a double story sort of um place the whole thing is double story and the top part is all connected, so you can walk. You can walk across town along the top as well as on the bottom. Um, <laughs> and, and there's a massive mosque in the middle. So that's only since that this this um, city of Jene is pre, you know, obviously pre-Islam. It's two thousand years old, but since it became uh, Islamic, they've put a they've built a mud brick mosque in the middle of it, and it's quite famous. There's been quite a few shows on TV that have um, shown it, like on the you know BBC type nature type stuff and it looks like something like four stories high um but it's it's sort of it's but but it's just an open mosque in the middle it's just you know it's open mosque in the middle but it's basically a big square wall around um that looks as high as something like four or five stories high um i don't know the list goes on they're all around the world the more you dig the more you find and um you know, a lot of the a lot of the structures all over the place, and and even here in Australia, Bruce Pascoe's new book, um, or quite old now, but um, Dark Emu, he's just uncovered all the first um, settlers' diaries, and they talked about mud brick villages here, and mud brick granaries, you know, that stored massive amounts of grain, like huge granaries that could feed thousands of people at these corroborees for weeks at a time. So um, it's really a part of everybody's heritage. Every human on Earth has, has figured out this Earth and masonry. And, and uh, I noticed that the kids, the little preschool kids, when I um, first started going to preschools, I'd say, all right, we're going to make mud pies and stuff like that. Does anyone know? And, and you know, always it's like the, there's always kids that say, I already know how to do this. And, 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 and it's like, oh, who taught you, your mum or your dad? Like no 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 I taught myself they don't even know that I do this <laughs> but, you know <laughs> and then <laughs> I just remembered when I was a kid there was this spot that I know my parents didn't go to but me and the older kids would go to this spot out the back 
and we would be sitting there churning up the mud and making these mud pies. And it's like, yeah, that's true. We, we Somehow it's instinct, instinctual. So when I go to a preschool, I literally just put a pile of sand and a pile of mud, um, like, you know, where they can see it, and a bucket of water, and I just let them go and just tell the teachers to watch. And they, they slowly but surely find it and start mixing it, and they mix the two together. By the end of the day, <laughs> they've, they've made all their bricks, and they've they kind of, like, without something. any instructions at all. <laughs> so, so it's like... It's like it's instinctual. It's part of. It's just part of our DNA to do this stuff. Yeah, right. Oh, that's remarkable, isn't it? It is. It is. The kids. Uh, the kids have been so um, so uh, important in this journey for me. They're, they're so much my teachers. Like in terms of how they interact with each other and just how they deal on on on, on so many levels. Like and 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 straddle that line. Like what I'm trying to do with the building and the, and the cultural artist and, and bring those two worlds together, that's so, it's almost like every kid is, is simultaneously a performing artist and a builder. Like, look, mum, look, you know. <laughs> <laughs> not, it's, not, it's not good enough for them to do it alone. They have to have an audience. So, yeah, you're just bringing together these two things that are almost inherent. Yeah, that's right. And the kids are the best teachers because they do it all so naturally and so... Um, you know, they just think of all these things you would never think of as far as bringing all these different worlds together. They, they, they pretty much, like, almost violently insist that their parents join in, you know. <laughs> and, and the parents are always happy once they finally take their socks and shoes off and get in the mud pit, and even ecstatic, but the only person who could have got them to do it was their little, their little uh, you know, daughter <laughs> or son. Just That's right. So sincere with the, <laughs> with the request, you know. So you've got uh, you've got your walls built. Um, you've got to put something on top. Uh, what happens if you don't put a roof onto a, an earthen wall? Um, yeah, well, well, it does it does it does uh, quicken up the process of, of wear and tear for sure. Um, you know, but um, so yeah, you always want to protect your, your your stuff. There's there's big parts of the Great Wall of China that have been left out for hundreds of years, and and what it, it what it depending upon your mix, it, what it tends to do is like it, um, you know, it, it becomes a sweet spot where, where the, the water and the clay just create, they smooth out themselves. And then it's like, you can sort of see that <clears throat> it's going to be really hard for the weather to get past it now because it's sort of smoothed out itself. <clears throat> and, um, but I mean, the short answer is a roof always protects it, but then there's these incredible examples where, you know, like the Great Wall of China was one where there's just huge parts of it. They're all just earth and mation. They've been out for thousands of years. It's like once it gets to a certain point where where the where it just sort of seals itself up and it's just not going to budge anymore, no matter what happens. It's almost like it turns to stone, sort of thing, because because the you know it, yeah. So but but that's I think that's a I think that's a a, a special thing when that happens. I've seen it happen. Um, you know. But, but I think overall the best thing is to get a, you know, just like anything, if you don't put a roof on, on, a, on a wooden house or any other material house, it turns to, um, to nothing quite, quite quickly. So, um, so, yeah, of course, we want to get a roof on these structures. And, 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 and we especially should put a roof on the, on the earth and masonry structures here in Australia because um, earth and masonry has a, is a very high-end product here, you know, like, there's EBAR, which is the Earth Builders Association of Australia, and that's all the architects and engineers that are sort of promoting earth building. And they've done um, 
you know, the new wing of the university at um, down at Albury Wodonga. They've, the whole new wing of that university is all done out of earth and masonry. Those guys have done um, the same builders um, have done like resorts and and um, government buildings. Like it's becoming it's coming up through the you know through through our society in in, in ways you wouldn't think. And um, and a lot of those um, and so you know the rammed earth um, seems to sort of protect from the weather like this outside like that. You know, just like an outside exterior wall that's um, that's just sort of like some sort of it doesn't have a roof on it, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff happening, and and the more you the more you uncover, the more surprised you get. Yeah, right. So what else can go wrong with these things? <laughs> what else can go wrong? Um, you <laughs> like, mean with the projects or the actual material? Of oh project? well, let, let's just make, <laughs> keep it to the actual actual building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what can go wrong? Um, I don't know. I think. I think. So how do they go in an earthquake, for instance? Yeah. Well, I, I've um, there's this video I, I've seen. So I, I've. Wow. Well, actually, the best story on earthquakes is um, <clears throat> Nelson, New Zealand. So in Nelson, New Zealand, that that place has been levelled pretty much three times, and there's this one house that never seems to budge. It's the only one, one of the, I mean, they, you know, I haven't actually been there. I've just heard the stories, read them all online, seen the pictures. And this one house that has withstood these three earthquakes that have leveled the rest of Nelson, New Zealand, um, is made out of cob. And it's 200 years old, and it was made by, um, you know, some, some uh, people, you know, from, from England way. And um, it looks very much like an old English house. And yeah, 200 years old, we withstood three earthquakes to level the rest of the town. And, and, you know, so people are doing all kind of um, tests where they build a small scale model and put it on a shake table in an engineering sort of university type environment and noticing that it really, really holds up well. It, um, must it be really slightly, holds up well. Must move slightly. I know they're building wooden, uh, big wooden structures now with all the modern engineering techniques to. Um, to, to put in earthquake zones now because they move a bit and they can flex. And maybe it's the same thing with unfired earth. Yeah, I think it's also... Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, know. I'm not... I'm not... I'm not um, I've just read the stories, so I don't know... I'm not, I don't know engineering and all that sort of stuff and why, why, it, why, it, um, why it seems to hold up so well. Um, I mean, I think... I think um, yeah, I think one of the reasons why um why it's like it, it's it's ironically become a high-end product that's out of reach of most people's budget um that's the ironic part is that you know the only people who live in these structures are people with a lot of extra cash you know and that's that's the same in america all the you know there's a lot of they call it adobe over there you know they call it adobe and the adobe homes are all mansions owned by the you know the rich and famous and and that sort of thing. So it's almost like, um, you know, I think what I think the biggest thing that's going wrong with it is that there's not enough um, conversation by everybody uh, on how to make it work. And um, you know, we've made it work by simply just um, milking, like milking it for its educational value. So combining budgets, like. Typically, what we find, what I've just learned from um, this professor in Canberra, um, Kathy Hope, 
she's doing a lot of great things for community and her whole thing is to make Canberra the most livable city in the world. And um, what, what I learned from her and some of her um, people in her circles is that when we build public structures, um, there's a big cost uh, after the fact. So we, we build a public structure and then we, we end up pouring in all this money after the fact of it being built to engage the community, to get, get the community to use the structure because the amount to use the structure and own the structure, that's what we want. We want people to own these public structures and, 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 and you know, and feel like they're theirs. So Trying to artificially form a connection, I guess. Yeah, after the fact. And, and, and what she was saying is that our, this approach of... of um, this approach of, of, of allowing the cultural artist to be involved with the, the construction science, sciences, um, it, it builds in that sort of sense of ownership from the, from the get-go. And throughout the process, it, it, um, so, so, so it, it potentially is saving money on the back end. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I think the culture part of it is really key. Like, if, you don't have, if we're not a culture of cobbers, if we don't think of ourselves as cobbers, then this approach doesn't have as much uh, strength because my understanding, and I've only been in the game for, you know, 10 years or whatever, but my understanding is that if you look at, if you look at things for, from 100 years and more and thousands of years, um, the reason why these structures can stay up so long and the reason why these, they're the oldest, longest, continuously inhabited structures is because there's a culture there where we can just um, we can we can add on like so. Whereas like the Sydney Entertainment Centre that they had to knock that down last year. I remember when that was built when I was um, when I was in high school and I, I saw all of my favourite bands and thought that place would last forever. While the times when I was in it, I just just never imagined anyone knocking that down. It was too big and but they had to knock it down last year because. Um, so no one no one takes into consideration that type of stuff. The the you know w- when concrete cracks, it's really hard to fix it up. And even when our brick veneer starts to crack, like you know builders will tell you like there's a certain point where it's like no, we can't really fix that up. We've got to knock it down. And um, but with the earth and masonry, it's more like we can if, if there's <laughs> if it starts to wear away, we can put another render on it. You know, and 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 a lot of times these structures uh, are the way they are because. No one's afraid to just, you know, get their cobbers together and 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 re-render it. Just have a crack at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think I think there's just, um, yeah, I, I think where it's going wrong is is just in the is in the, um, you know, I think we've taken a bit of a detour away from that cobbing mentality of that community mentality. But I, I feel like it's coming back. I feel like I get a lot, I get a really good reception from anyone that, you know, and feels like. Yeah, it's, there's still a gap between where we are and where we want to be generally as a, as a people on Earth. But but pe- there's more interest in community-minded things. There's more interest in um, you know environmentally friendly things, and um, and this kind of ticks a lot of those boxes that yeah, things that people are looking for. It does now I used to uh, hang out with a bloke who was doing a bit of cob years and years ago. He used to put straw and stuff in there. Do you guys mix anything, any uh, fibrous sort of materials in with your mix? Absolutely. Yep. It's it's not compulsory, but but it's um, 
it's 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 used you know the way I look at it is like um, if it's there and, and and you can and it's readily available chuck it in the mix because it has you know it seems to work it's it's half the world uses it that uses it in that way and the other half doesn't and I think it's just dependent on what's available so yeah, right. um, you know I used to use it when I first got into this you know 10 years ago um, bales of straw were really really cheap and I did the history on that they they used to um, it was illegal to to um, it started becoming illegal to burn the straw we used to just burn straw after after a harvest and um, and just get rid of it you know um, and, and then because of air pollution laws they said no no you can't burn it you got to do something else with it so they started bailing it up and selling it as a product and it was dirt cheap um, because they were really just doing it because they had to and um, you know, you could buy bales of straw for a dollar or two. Um, but once they started getting up to, once the, with the time, and, and, and once they got up to, like, once I paid $30 for a bale of straw because, you know, situation, <laughs> and, and that was when I realized, like, well, you know, I don't know if I want to go that far. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You, yeah, you know, especially like, if so you don't need to. what we need to do now is let the kids just um, harvest the, the, the long grass, the long dead grass in their community when it comes up. It's usually near a school. There's some field of, unkempt grass that grows you know almost as high as the kids so once it goes to seed and all the seed falls off and it's dead you can come through and harvest it and that's that's as good as straw yep yep yeah all right uh now we're just about running out of time here because i've got a, a unusually large batch of announcements to make at the end of the show as well Fantastic. so everybody out there get your pens and paper ready um but yeah, what does it do for the kids? I mean, what, what do they come out with? Uh, as briefly as you can. Um, oh man, I, I I think they come out with a lot. They 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 get a chance to really show us something that we haven't seen before. So, you know, um, I don't know what it does to them because I I mean I, I I do know a little bit because I have stayed in touch with some of these kids and and they they all seem to remember their experiences and um, we had really good stories of, of students like um, that were not really doing well in school and they and they come through this and 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 you know get out and participate they you know it's really about those teenagers that it's I see them as the the crucial element to the whole success of this because they're what I call the hybrid between the child and the adult and that's really what we're trying to straddle like um, so the teenagers and, and the kids can do stuff that adults can't do. They can make so much noise and so much excitement and just the energy they can put into cranking out bricks is phenomenal. Like, like as a group, as a whole group, you know, um, a, a group of a hundred kids can, um, can crank out way more bricks than I can crank out by myself going as hard as I can in, you know, days. I would spend days cranking out, doing doing what they can do in, in a couple of hours when they when they really put their minds to it. So um, I think they get a chance to really show us their strength and, and, and their value, their potential value, um, because they're very easily able to um, grasp this idea of blending the festive type spirit with the, you know, like, let's get something done. Let's actually crank out some bricks. Let's, let's get a wall built. And they, they're very so, – so I just think that they're an untapped resource and that we that – we, uh, and so 
that, that's what I feel like. It's almost the other way around. What they're getting is the chance to show us their potential. Um, and, and there's lots of other type of success stories, but I think, I think we haven't really um, fully realised what, what the youth can add to our society and how they can um, uh, really actually solve the problems, you know, that, we, that we're faced with um, just by being themselves. Yeah. You know, they're so good at, at the, um, the idea of a party when they become a teenager. One, <laughs> there's always somebody that can just push a button on his phone and a couple hundred people show up at somebody's house that night. <laughs> you know, that's and right. that's the type of stuff that our corporations would die to be able to do. Yep, yep. And, and they've just got it naturally. So it's like we're not really fully recognizing and, and rewarding them for what they are able to do. Um, and so, you know, I, I yeah, I want to, I want to, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to see more of that type of stuff. And, and, um, and, and give put them into positions of more into positions of leadership. Give them more more sense of um, ownership in their community and 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 a, and, a, and a bigger a bigger responsibility. You know, like I think hmm. we're, we're so, not yeah yeah, not yeah absolutely. Um, where do you see it going from here? I mean, you you seem to be quite happy to, to stick with the, the schools and that sort of thing. But can you see some of the kids coming out and having a career and doing this sort of thing in other fields? I would, I would like to think so. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Um, you know, there's, there's, there is EBA, Earth Builders Association of Australia. I mentioned them before. They're, they're, that's all architects, builders, and engineers that, that want to promote earth building, and they're tending to go more down the um, the path of the mechanicalized versions of this, or sort of. They're just trying to stay in the in the construction industry the way that is, um, but. I, 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 yeah, I, I'm seeing I'm seeing young people already doing a lot of creative stuff. You know, they're um, and they'll figure it out. I think if they all if 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 young people get a taste of festive information, they get to have a taste of a musical mud stomp and see what's able to happen. Um, then then they'll be able to do whatever they want. I, I mean, I was recently at a party. It wasn't a mud house, but it was just a regular house. But the the and these were you know late twenties. But there was about. 50 people at the party and it was a housewarming party and every single person um, at one point he said um, put your hand up if you've um, if you if you came out to give me a hand to build this house and every person almost except for me um, who was there uh, had come out to help this guy build his house so and this is in a place where houses cost a million dollars and um, and this is a guy who, you know, wasn't making, actually, you know, wasn't making, he wasn't, he wasn't a high earner. But somehow these young people, and I asked a lot of people, I said, why did you come and help him build his house? Why did you put so much time into building his house? And they said, to be honest, I, I thought that if we didn't come and help him build his house, he would have never gotten a house, this guy. And, um, and, and, uh, and, and, and the ironic thing was that it turned out that he got a house before all them, <laughs> you know, in, in a place where houses cost a million dollars. Yeah, that's so, right. So I think the I think if we if we if we give our young people permission to think outside the box, they're going to figure out they're going to figure everything out. And this is just one little thing to add to it. You know, the musical mud stomp. They they show us how to make thousands of dollars worth of bricks as an entertainment spectacle <laughs> in 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 minutes, not in not even in really in hours. So yeah. it's like yeah, they've. 
I do, I do think that they're going to be able to take this, um, this general idea of, of elevating the performing arts into a new space and expanding the view of the, of the building science, you know, the, the architect, the engineer, the builder, those type of roles. Yeah. Expanding right. with, the, with the kid's mind, they're going to, they're going to come up with, with, with solutions for sure that, that, will, that will provide them with some sort of what they need. Beautiful. Uh, how do people get in contact with you if they like this idea and might want to give it a shot? Um, well, I've got the website, which is mudfunaustralia.com. That's probably the easiest to just go to mudfunaustralia.com. I've got a Facebook page, which is called Mud Fun and the Musical Mud Stomp. Um, and, yeah, and just, just have a look out because there's a few people in Canberra that have contacted me and said, let's have a public meeting about this. Let's bring together our cultural artists and our construction people, our builders, our architects, our engineers. Let's, let's bring everyone together and just talk this through and see where we can take it in Canberra specifically. Uh, so there's plans afoot already, eh? Yeah, there's plans afoot already. Oh, and all right. These are, these, are good, these are key people that know how to move and shake stuff. Okay, we've really got to go. Uh, thank you very much, David Mitzek. And we didn't even get a chance to touch on the Sun Villages, but we'll come back and I think I think both of these subjects deserve a, a full interview, not a half a one. Well, I, I, I really appreciate your, uh, yeah, how you're doing this. It's amazing. I, I've just been re-looking at your, uh, the website and what, what you're all about and it's, it's incredible. So keep up the good work. No worries. All right, mate. Um, thank you very much for joining us. David Mitzak from, uh, from Mudfun Australia. This interview was done in the studios of Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Community Radio relies on its listeners for funding. If you enjoyed this program and would like to hear more programs like it, please donate by going to 2XXFM.org.au Click support 2XX and then donate, subscribe, volunteer or sponsor us. Thanks.